May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In 2010, the Contemporary Art Society for Wales gave the Cathedral at Llandaff a painting by Clive Hicks Jenkins, one of Wales's leading artists, a copy of which has been reproduced for you. It's entitled The Virgin of the Goldfinches and depicts the Annunciation to Mary. Now, the Annunciation, of course, has been portrayed by many famous artists down the ages, Duccio, Fra Filippo Lippi, Pusa, Fra Angelico, to name but a few. They all differ considerably from one another while sharing some common features. In this picture, Gabriel's body is depicted in what the artist calls life-affirming red, the traditional colour of the spirit, and he is accompanied by goldfinches, not the usual dove. These have flaming caps of red in alignment with Gabriel, and they are, says the artist, tiny outriders to his descent from heaven, something beautiful out of the natural world to reassure the startled girl. In some paintings, goldfinches are perched on the hand of the Christ child. In Raphael's works, the goldfinch is a traditional symbol of the passion of Jesus, not least because it seems to feed among thorns. And there is a legend that the goldfinch drew a thorn from Jesus' crown on the road to Calvary. And from that stemmed the belief that the red feathers on the side of the bird's head were stained with his blood. It is, of course, a reminder to us of the eventual destiny of this child. The poet R.S. Thomas was once asked to explain one of his poems. He refused. He said, the poem is the poem. And the same thing is true of paintings. They are their own explanations. We have to look at them carefully and bring to them our own insights and knowledge. Duccio's Annunciation has Gabriel and Mary standing virtually on opposite sides of the room. There is quite a distance between the two characters in Lippi's Annunciation. And the same is true of Poussin's portrayal of the scene. Thomas, writing about this distance, in Veneziano's Annunciation says, The messenger is winged, and the girl haloed a distance between them. And that distance is conveyed in this painting by Mary having her back to the angel. Humans can't bear an encounter with God face to face. He's too awesome for that because the distance between us and God is too great. And the distance in the end, of course, is bridged not by us finding God, but by God searching for us. Mary's response in the Magnificat sums it up perfectly when she says, He hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. God bridges the gap. In this case, the glory of God will be revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Many annunciation scenes show them as taking place in rather grand surroundings. If you look at Crivelli's annunciation, it occurs in a grand house with beautiful architecture. Hicks Jenkins's painting, too, has a huge house in the background, walled and turreted, and Mary has climbed the hill above it to a bank of flowers. Perhaps the artist is trying to portray a girl who knows that something is amiss and she wants some solitude to think. Or he may be portraying a girl who up until now has been kept secure by her family. It's interesting that the house has no windows and she has escaped only to realise that life for her is never going to be the same again. This particular artist has three paintings of the Annunciation, but this particular one was commissioned when it was just a preparatory drawing on the artist's easel. It's not the way he normally works, because he says of the weight of expectation that comes with such an arrangement. And that weight of expectation is there in Mary too. She seems to be in a kind of trance, not quite knowing how to take in what Gabriel has just told her. According to Luke's Gospel, Gabriel appeared to Mary at Nazareth, perhaps at home, probably an unpretentious family home, not (coughs) grand at all, because God doesn't need designated holy spaces to reveal himself. Although immediately before this, as we heard in tonight's lesson, Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah at the altar of incense in the temple at Jerusalem to tell him that his aged wife Elizabeth was also going to conceive. John Drury, the former dean of Christchurch, in his book Painting the Word, says that Luke twists eternity with our historical world of times and places, and painters depict mundane existence shot through with golden threads of divinity. Or as R.S. Thomas puts it, there is nothing too ample for you to overflow, nothing so small that your workmanship is not revealed. In other words, annunciations take place every day as God speaks to us in and through the things that happen to us. But he does not impose but transforms. He changes human life from within, often in a silent and hidden manner, for his style is not to dominate, but to attract, a God, to quote Thomas again, who does not bludgeon us into belief. St. Matthew, of course, has no account of the Annunciation. Instead, we are told that Mary and Joseph are betrothed, and she is pregnant, and the child isn't his. Betrothal, which took place between the ages of 12 to 15, was regarded as marriage in Jesus' day, although the betrothed girl lived for a year after it with her parents before going to live with her husband. If unfaithfulness occurred, then the husband could divorce her, which was Joseph's plan. But an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, telling him to marry Mary, which he does. And in Matthew's Gospel, Mary has no part in the decision, 
It's Joseph's decision and Joseph's alone. Matthew then depicts a man's world and women just do as they're told. But Luke focuses on Mary. Gabriel appears directly to her and tells her what is about to happen to her. Joseph isn't consulted at all. We only hear of Joseph when he and Mary go together to Bethlehem to be enrolled, presumably, after she told him. He doesn't even seem to be the first person to be told because Mary visits Elizabeth immediately after her encounter with Gabriel. No wonder, then, that Luke's Gospel has been called a subversive Gospel, not least because of the prominence it gives to women. It's Elizabeth who names John. Zachariah merely confirms it. Mary and Martha play a prominent role in Jesus' ministry. Women accompany him on his journeys, and women are the first witnesses of his resurrection. Why, then, has the Church traditionally interpreted Mary's obedience as submission and subservience, but not seen Joseph's obedience to his dream in the same light? But if the Church has taken obedience to mean submissiveness, it hasn't always either given credit to Joseph for the enormity of his decision. Mary presumably told Joseph of her pregnancy and he knows he's not the father. That would be a shock to anybody in his position, then as well as now. In Matthew's Gospel, he decides that he will just divorce her quietly. But had he done so, he would have brought shame on her and her family. She would probably have had to leave her town and would have had to bring up Jesus single-handedly and life would have been very difficult indeed. But not only does he stand by her and marry her, he raises Jesus as his own. And so when Jesus, in his own ministry, talks about God as a loving father, it's not too fanciful to suggest that he was probably drawing on his own experiences with Joseph. We tend to forget the crucial role that fathers can play in a child's upbringing, in nurturing, supporting, loving. Life could have been very different for Mary and for Jesus had Joseph followed his initial instincts. Now, one doesn't ask of any painting whether the scene it depicts is an exact reproduction of the event. It would be absurd in this case to ask if Gabriel really had a red body or wings or whether Mary lived in a grand mansion. Religious paintings convey truth by symbol and illusion. And the same thing is true of the birth stories of the New Testament. To ask whether they're factually or historically true is to ask the wrong question. After all, there are no birth narratives in Mark or John, nor does Paul mention an extraordinary birth. Matthew and Luke try to convey the truth about God in their stories. The truth that Jesus is God's gift to the world, and in him a new start is possible for the human race.
And all you and I can do in the light of that is to fall down and worship and be thankful. To God be the glory. Amen.